<laughs> Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson was in the complicated British romantic comedy thriller Love Actually, where Billy Bob Thornton played a version of George Bush, who does me too. Little did this cast and crew of the British film know that Liam Neeson was doing reverse method acting. <laughs> When he played a widower, and years later, he would join Hollywood's Dead Wife Club. OJ and Robert Blake, they're all coming in for everything for a huge party. I've been watching a lot of uh, true crime YouTube. I'm trying to... Don't, I'd like to get into the game. Don't, don't, let, don't let Liam Neeson listen to this episode. He'll be out late at night stalking the streets of Dublin for someone named Felix to beat up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, like, I think he, like, people are un- uh, unnecessarily mean to him about that. Because his point was that he was wrong for doing that. Yeah, yeah he said that wasn't a good thing. He wasn't asking people to, like, have a high five. Yeah. He did get an extraordinarily mild cancellation. Nobody wanted to do it. Nobody's heart was really into it, even though he said that something that, you know, objectively beyond the pale. It's just people were like, you know, his wife died. He isn't taken. Everyone likes him. Yeah. He saved all those all those Jewish people from he the He saved Holocaust. all those Jewish children. Yeah. I mean, like, my true crime video isn't, like, accusing him. <laughs> it's just, like, um, that's really all I have. It's a 45-second long video. Okay, but so wait. <laughs> I, I, I've noticed you've been posting on this. Is it true crime YouTubers you're watching? You're like, I'm going to do CJS-style video about your own murder? Or you're like, you like Spearman? by all yeah like by a few well yeah no i've been so there's these two guys i watch um like most people who do true crime are like tasteless and awful there are two guys i like who i think are like they're they do really good research and they're like it doesn't disgust me to watch uh besides the crimes sometimes i don't think it's good to kill your family but um JCS, who no longer does videos, but this guy dreading, I think they're both very good, but I was just, I was thinking it's like a good exercise to figure out what type of person you are to think of how they would describe you if you were murdered. Mm, that is good. Thinking about it. Seltzer fan. Felix Biederman. Mine would left de- many admirers and some haters. They would kind of be like that. I think he would like, he would mention that I was a controversial figure, but then he would, yeah, he would say like good things I did. You know, he didn't make delivery guys use the complicated elevator system in the terrible building he lived in. He went outside. People say that he saved delivery guys hours of t- added together years of time saved. Uh, oh, hello. You're listening there. Are you listening? Hello, it's Chapo. Yes. Uh, okay. I just, guys, quick, quick audible I'm going to call here. You guys, you know, I mean, you're, of course, you are aware, and hopefully our listeners are aware of the fact that we have an upcoming show. In Fort Lauderdale, Florida, on mm. October 30th. Guys, what would you say if we just flipped it up a little bit and did a show in Fort Myers, Florida, on October 30th? Uh, I see no reason that that could be a problem. I haven't looked at the internet for a while, so as last I heard, Fort Myers is doing great. Well, shout out to all of our all of our fans and listeners in Fort Myers. I guess we're coming through, doing, doing a show. Yeah. Wait, are we? Re- well, oh, did it move? Did the venue move? <laughs> What's going on? Fort Myers, Florida moved. Yeah. It's into the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. I guess yeah. I would have seen something yeah. in the chat. If, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, they're there. They just got hit by a, they got rocked by a hurricane. And uh, uh, Matt and I, we were just talking like, I, just, just because of Fort Myers getting erased by the uh, Gulf of Mexico, uh, we were talking about like the, the, this, this huge property development called like Coral Gables or Coral Heights. It was one of these like fastest oh, yeah. growing communities <laughs> where oh, I was just Jesus. like, like the story of Florida really is just making billions selling swamp into yeah. housing, making them in, making swamps into housing developments. So they like took like what used to be like, you know, mangroves and swamps, things that are you know, naturally bufferish to storm surges caused by hurricanes and just created this kind of like community where like all the streets are is water. So yeah. everyone has an oceanfront. Everyone's view. got everyone's waterfront good. property and you go around in a boat, I guess, instead of a car. Uh, it, it's what everyone wants. It's, they want that waterfront. And I, I love that. They made the most wasteful and low IQ version of Venice possible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, hey, you know all the magic and, and history uh, and grandeur of Venice? Get rid of all of that. Just the, the uh, risk of drowning. 
That's all you have in common with it. If it rains too much, you will be soaked in water. That's the only thing that it has that uh, it can, can compare to Venice. Yeah, it's it, it's amazing because it's like it, they're all they're like in a water grid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. so stupid looking and like <laughs> such a crime against nature and took away like the natural protection that yeah. like the, the, the that offered against hurricanes. Yeah, and, and you know another point you brought up Mount is that look like there are there you know natural disasters they're a plague on our society. <laughs> it's it's something that we all have to live with. But hurricanes on the Gulf Coast are like, you can set your watch by it. You're getting one a year You're getting minimum. at least one a year. Yeah. So, I mean, like, the idea that you would make these housing developments on, you know, former swampland or mangroves or whatever is one thing. But then, by, this is like the fastest growing fucking housing development in Florida. It's wild. It's just, why? Yeah. Why? You need to have a view of a canal that much? People want to look at the canal. Well, think of, uh, I don't know. I'll try this segue out. Uh, speaking of uh, water-based disasters, how about that Nord Stream pipeline explosion? Blowing up like Nord Stream. Blowing blow, blow <laughs> up like Nord Stream. Yeah, so the, 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 the main Russian pipeline connecting their natural gas to uh, all of Western Europe uh, mysteriously exploded over the weekend, yeah. uh, rendering it a just giant methane-spewing garbage dump at the bottom of the fucking uh, you Baltic, know, Ocean. Baltic Ocean. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so like, and Applebaum's stupid husband um, basically uh, congratulated the United States for our wonderful performance in underwater demolitions. Yeah, does I mean, what's go, what's what's going on here? What, what's up with this Nord Stream? I mean, because like all signs would point to like qui bono, uh, it's America doing I, this. I guess, but like you're you're hitting the accelerator on all of this the the. Uh the gas crunch that is undermining all of your European allies, governments, it's its baffling, the whole yeah, thing. I'm not saying we wouldn't do it, but it's like if people were more than halfway sure and then like the coming pain in Europe, like especially Germany, especially like the, the real motor yeah. of the EU, like that is the worst thing you could do if you're America and you're not quite sure how things are going to shake out. I mean, we're pretty sure how things will shake out in the next century. We see... We see the way the winds are blowing generally, but if you if you think like you're going to have to kind of fight for Europe's affection in this way that you wouldn't have had to 20 years ago, this would be the dumbest thing you could do in the long term. I don't know. I mean, maybe there. I think there might be some understanding that like Russia now like being a live player, willing to go to war to the to the extent that it has, like right there in Europe. I think is now pushing all of these countries into the arms of the, uh, the u.s and if doing something like this could just be you know uh, guaranteeing that they have nowhere else to go yeah it's been kind of one step forward one step back though kind of because in february it seemed like a, a, it's a totally new day and we have had these nations that we never thought would join nato joining as fast as they could but then you saw the quality of life hits that they took mm-hmm. and it, it it slowed a lot of things down um, if this, if this fucks things up as bad as we think they might, I don't know. We might see more of those steps back, but I mean, the other side is what if it's just typical shoddy Russian construction? <laughs> That's possible. I, I, I mean, like, I, I mean, really, I don't think that there's any, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me that Russia did it, which some people are alleging, but I have no, like, it's, I have That's no, stupid. Yeah. no idea. That's fucking I have stupid. no idea what's going on. All I, I know is that all of the signs are good and positive. Yeah, and everything is getting better, and there's there's nothing to worry about. I love just like just fucking vomiting all, every petroleum byproduct into the ocean at the behest of like a pretty much a mere match, Russia versus smaller Russia. Oh God, I I've, I I want Robert Taft now. I want sixty Robert Tafts in the sun, Senate. I want isolationism. I want Charles Lindbergh. I want his. I want to discover his baby and put him in the Senate. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, well, you know, yeah, Matt. Uh, as you said, uh, winter is coming. Mm-hmm. Winter is coming for Europe, and it's going to be. It seems like it's going to be a rough one. Yeah, it's I mean, be like something. And then you have you have Liz Truss in the UK just doing a suicide uh, bombing run on her own economy for some reason. It is. They're undoing Brexit. 
How so? She's like she's like going out of her way. She's rolling out the red carpet for the the Brussels guys in a way that Boris would have never. I, look, we had, we we all had a we all had a laugh at the expense of the uh, the British and the death of their beloved monarch, Queen Elizabeth II. But you can't help but notice that like two days after she died. Like the entire country of England is just circling the drain. Yeah, holy like, shit! It's just, oh my god! Like the pound is cratering, and uh, and and trust Liz, our gal Liz, is instituting a massive slate of tax cuts. Yeah. during a period of wild inflation. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. She's she. I guess she wants to do the Ireland thing of just being a tax shelter. But uh, you guess what? Ireland's in the EU, dummy. <laughs> Like you're not yeah, you're not access to that market anymore. You can't not access to that network now. You got nowhere to go. It's pretty crazy. I guess the thinking there would be that you're like you're like the financial hub for the Commonwealth. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> which, which is, is fucking every day as countries become republics. Oh my God. Yeah. No. I mean, it just it's it seems like there's not going to be a UK that much longer. No. No. I, they're on the speed yeah. run. They're on the they're on the break break this motherfucker up. Uh, speed run. Get back to just England being England again. Then fuck that. Keep going. Go back to Mercia and, and, Anglica, <laughs> and a- Anglia and shit. East Anglia. Yeah. yeah, let's, yeah. Not, let's get the let's get those let's get the Danes back in there. Yes. Yeah. I remember the boneless running around <laughs> in a technical made out of a bloody lorry. Honestly, the Danes seem bored. The Danes were one of the few the few of those Northern European countries that like tried to present a significant presence in Iraq. In the coalition. That's true, yeah, crazily. Yeah, they're bored. They haven't done anything in like 1,500 yeah. years. Go in there. Just invade. Yeah. Just, yeah. just take the top of it. King, King Canute. Yeah. He's coming back, folks. He invented Bluetooth. <laughs> <laughs> the, the tides, I'm wondering them. They're rolling back, folks. Get I mean, we can certainly use that now. Yeah. As the ocean mm-hmm. swallows more uh, and more of our coastal territories. Um, But yeah, back, back to our girl. Back to our girl, Liz. I remember a couple of weeks, weeks ago when she became the PM, I was like, who is this Liz Trust person? Well, a lot of people have answered my question. You know, a lot, a lot of, a lot of canny listeners have cued me in on uh, trust mania. Okay, fact number one about Liz Trust: she's a goer. She's she's a she's a right bird and <laughs> a proper fit. slag. She's fit. <laughs> she's fit. And now we've had we've had sort of like blind items submitted to us about PM Liz, and apparently, like her signature thing is how shall I put this? Acquiring power for herself through her asshole. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know how else to put this. Apparently, she's a, she's a fan of uh, anal, or at least a bl- blind item saying there's like, you know, certain certain British politician. Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Allegedly, allegedly a certain British politician has uh, fucked her way to the top of the Buddy Tory party, but has done it in a very specific way. Down the back, the dirt yeah, road. Yes, exactly. Who's, the, who's the, the source on option, this? Option number three. Who's the source on this? Like a seventh grader? <laughs> Very well could be knowing our listeners. Yeah, but it was I, Ralph Wiggum. Then I saw one of the babies, and the baby looked at me. And uh, and other people pointed out that like uh, she 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 wears it. She wears a necklace that would seem to connote. Like people interpret as connoting being in an active uh, BDSM relationship. It's called a apparently apparently I just found this out. It's called a day caller, and it's something that you wear to signal that you are uh, the sub. You're the property of somebody else. Right, and like yeah, a, they a, just yeah. A, no, no one actually likes doing that stuff. Like no one thinks any of that's hot. They just like want to be vampires. <laughs> I mean, they do. Yes. Yeah, uh, it's like a day collar would be like you know your night collar. You know you're at you're at an orgy. You know like yeah. that, that's like a nice thick piece of leather. Yeah, sure. Got, got, got enough you know like a ring for a leash that you can attach to it. Mm-hmm. But the day collar is like you know for the just a little just a little just a symbol for when you're being a day walker. Yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> if you're a, if you're a BDSM person that like you know uh, has yeah. a job and. Yeah. But but it's still in a twenty four seven DS relationship. Someone Gotta be a day walker. Very interestingly, that she didn't always wear this. This hasn't been her thing her entire public career. She started wearing it after she admitted publicly that she had had an affair, uh, but stayed with her husband. They stayed together. Yeah, yeah. That was good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I like uh, Tory politicians. I especially like the. The women, they're all Kelly Loeffler. Mm-hmm. They're all like if Kelly Loeffler became president. Yeah. They're all like the least charismatic Republicans you could find. It's amazing. Like, yeah, you don't, for Tories at least, Boris Johnson seemed like an outlier because he seemed like the only one who sort of like 
had this force of personality right. and this like distinct distinct like brand i guess yeah everyone else is like uh fucking richard burr if richard burr became president that's how they pick them they just find like the most boring most anti-charismatic person they're wildly well, I mean, colorless like, if these allegations are true i'd say liz is far from boring uh, no i'd say that that's like what boring people do to like try okay. to add something like that's it, what okay, that's it, what the it, fucking it, computer guy <laughs> at your uh, at someone's job I, I, does I'm, I'm not referring to the D, i'm not referring to the d as uh, the, the bdsm relationship because you know like whatever that that's yeah that, that's washed at this point anyway what i mean is like uh in, in the blind item that i was sent by you know an eagle-eyed seventh grader in ireland um <laughs> <laughs> apparently Liz no, apparently the, the unnamed Tory politician who fucked her way to the top through the through option number three, shall we say. Um apparently her, her the, the catchphrase that she would that she would tell blokes is go in dry. That's not no. <laughs> like uh, I have a lot of trouble believing a lot of this. Go in dry so what she 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 would just like she was in the X checker meetings bleeding from her <laughs> asshole going dry. Uh, well, yeah, is there a source on this reliable? No, yeah, no, I am fact checking this. This is just no, no. I don't think any is, true British patriots fact check these items. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm calling Glenn Kessler. <laughs> the guy, I'm just saying, like, the Talk guy about pants on fire. Woo! I'm saying that the guy who fucked her had to have like the most ergonomic dick ever. He had to, like, in order for her to, like... Okay, so the allegation is she is just pretty much daily getting rawed out in the asshole dry. Like, probably... Probably like taking a Dyson Airblade and just shooting it into her asshole so it's as dry as painful and possible as possible. <laughs> like, the maximum, like, chafing and bleeding. Like, a, like a, if a, a chubby person ran a marathon, they're in her thighs. Okay, and but, I'm just supposed to believe this, like, sight unseen, no but, corroboration. Okay, but if that were true, though, don't you think it would make, make her pretty interesting? <laughs> yeah, I mean... I, okay, I guess. Yeah, like I, I, I would like to interview her about it. I would like to be like, "What's your? Why do you what, like that? Yeah, what's your deal? Yeah, because I've never heard of like any woman liking that specifically. <laughs> but but keep in mind, she is British, though. I guess they do like suffering. <laughs> they do get they off love on it, being miserable. They're probably like the happiest they've ever been. Oh yeah. Oh, they're going. They're so they're loving it. It's like it's the blitz again, mates. Yeah, uh, Matt, you and I were talking about. Talking about uh, 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 old Trussy the other day, and like you, you could look at this through like a, you know a certain lens. Like she becomes she becomes PM, and then within about ten minutes of that, like the UK is just cratering. Yeah, like the, the pound is fucking falling off a cliff. Now we do know that like when she was in at, at uni, she was an anti-monarchist back then, and there's yeah. videos of her talking about how like you know just because someone's born into a family it doesn't give them the right to have all this you know uh, power and privilege. Okay, hear me out here. What if Truss has been like a long, long con agent planted by McConnell, Corbin? They didn't know, Matt, you said like, like uh, you know, Red Sparrow. She went to horror school. Yeah. She went to Red Horror School Her... to take over the UK and then destroy it from within. Ooh. It's like Corbin. Okay, they're like, Corbin, we had our chance to have like a, a, like a, like a, like a working class labor party, like a pro-Brexit, you know, like so they would have solved all these problems, all these problems. And they're like, okay, well, we can't have that. Activate the trust contingency. Her and parents we will destroy are, the UK. Her parents I mean, are left of labor. Like her parents are, are, are lefties, and she comes from a left wing family that disowned her dad anyway. Disowned her political career. Was that a cover the whole time? Was she doing? Uh, was she doing DiCaprio in the Departed style yep. shit here by joining the police force? Who knows? Or, or by uh, you know like getting going to jail and then coming out and fake? Uh, who knows? Did she get sheep dipped? Who can tell? She's certainly acting like it because I don't know what they're going to do over there. Yeah, the, her, the tax cut thing is like if you were trying to crash the pound. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay, it could, it could be trust contingency, Red Sparrow, horror school, or as I just saw a headline the other day, they're like, okay, because the pound is crashing so much, we're going to have to consider budget cuts that include privatizing the NHS. Sorry, we just have Oops. to do it. Oh, Oops. darn it. Oh, whoops. Yeah. So, I mean, well, like, you know, I can understand the ultimate, why. The ultimate goal here. Because, as we know in America, uh, privatized healthcare is so much more 
affordable for the government. It's so much yeah. cheaper yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. for the government to do it that way. They pay like you pay like the government. Yes, we have private insurance, all that, but it, the government pays way less than they do in countries that have socialized medicine. So yeah. I understand the savings that they would get out of doing that. It's never like every seven years the government has to give five hundred billion dollars for health insurance to keep working. Kind of. <laughs> yeah, they just have to keep shoving cash into the maw to keep it alive. Uh, well, for, so we're talking about um. Uh, batty birds in in in, in Europe. Uh, I guess the other, the other big news from the week. Um, wouldn't you know it? Italy's gone fascist again. They did it, they, Christopher they, Maloney. Maloney. Okay, and I, look here. Here's what I want to say about this. About this. Uh, I, I I don't know her name. You know, some Christina Christopher Maloney. Christopher Maloney. <laughs> Christopher Maloney. Look, you know, there's a lot of stuff like okay, Italy's gone fascist again. You know, the Mussolini the Mussolini days are back. If there is one thing. That the CIA, deep state, America, KKK, imperialism is afraid of and does not want. It's putting fascists in charge of Italy. They this is never. a major, major blow to the U.S. deep state, CIA, back uh, America, KKK, imperialism. The, the security, they, yeah, the security state is furious. They would never in post-war Italy. Do you think they would ever run a decades-long program with a far right-wing Italian government? Never. I cannot imagine them doing that. Well, hold on a minute, though. I mean, you've got the you have that, but then she's making all these noises about uh, opposing, uh, you know, the EU and NATO and supporting. Uh, what is this? Oh no, I'm saying she's in favor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's in favor of all that shit. She loves NATO. She loves uh, EU. She wants to bomb Putin. Uh, what exactly is the danger conflict here? Where where okay, where, wait, where, wait, where wait. are they not someone that you're going to do business with? Okay, wait, wait, hold on a second, Matt. The one th the one thing she will do is um, just start openly sinking boats of migrants in the Mediterranean. Okay, hold on. What am I, I'm, I'm getting news here that uh, Italy's been doing that. They already, uh, do that. They're already been doing that. They already do okay, that. Okay, so she's going to be doing more of that. That's that. Well, or honestly, she probably will be doing a little more of it, but what will change will be the emphasis on it. Now that there's a fascist in Italy, all the stuff they do in the Mediterranean to murder migrants becomes a story in a way it wouldn't have been under the technocratic Draghi government that they used to have that, that all the Western liberals loved. Uh, now you might have like this perceived perception that she's doing the fascism when in fact she's doing what any government in Italy is going to do now, which is kill fucking migrants in the Mediterranean. I, and, she, and it's just going to be a narrative now where it's a part of this political project when in reality we're just telling a story around an unchangeable series of policies that are being carried out everywhere. Yeah. It's their kids in cages. Yeah. Uh, I love the idea that like an actual like Eurosceptic, would govern in Italy. Yeah. Like the idea of them leaving the EU. What the fuck do they have there? Like, what the fuck? Like, probably, I think this, I, I've been thinking about this. Italy is the most fucked up country where you can get a nice apartment. And that yeah. is solely because they're like in the, yes, because they're, they're just, they're, they're riding in the slipstream. What do you mean the by EU? the most fucked up country where you can get a nice apartment? Okay. A country where the apartments are normal. It's not like Russia where like, even a bear new, lives in it. Yeah, a bear them. lives in it, and somehow, like a brand new building, like a building built in 20, 2020, uh, the wallpaper is like brown and peeling off somehow. <laughs> the wallpaper it's, is like, is actually a rug someone nailed to the wall. Yeah, I love doing that. I, wi I wish, you know, like it, there are so many countries where just nobody has a nice apartment. Your only option to even live in a place that isn't repulsive is to be an oligarch. So many countries like that. Italy's institutions are as fucked up as most of those places. It's not right? a country. It's not it's, a it's functioning not, No, they didn't really unify. Yeah. You're not tricking me with that. They there was a guy. There was a mafia guy who had something like 20 bodies, and they're like, "You don't have to go to prison because you're too fat." <laughs> <laughs> it, not a, no. That's yeah. not a real country. No. But you can get an email job there. Yeah, you can get a nice apartment. You can hire a dog walker through an app. <laughs> And that's entirely because they are this are there are fucked up kid that we keep sending checks to every month. Yeah, to keep them from getting to under the hard drugs. Yeah, say what you will about um Chris, Christopher Maloney, <laughs> but at least he made the uh, app dog walkers arrive on time. <laughs> <laughs> I love the, I love the people the right wingers who are like uh, they're like oh well look at look at the look at this another victory for us and it's like 
oh, the prime ministership of Italy. You're that's definitely going to be a thing in <laughs> nine months. <laughs> that's a jewel most stable government. Yeah. yeah, most stable governments on the fucking planet. I, I, I did like all of the uh, like the. Uh, the, the Tory graph and like the, the British conservatives being like calling Christopher Maloney far right is slander. She just believes all the same things we do. Yeah. You can't call us Nazis. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. She's um, she did that big speech about like, you, you know, why are you opposed to the family? Blah, blah, blah. Sort of sounding like a uh, DeSantis there. But yeah, just. She instant. She instantly, yeah, said, "Go and dry to the EU." <laughs> like, you know, like she, she, the first person she said hello to when she became when she uh, got elected was Zell Disney. Yep. She was like, "Hey, Zell Disney, I can't wait to meet you. I love you." And now her first act in our power was to cut a, a five hundred dollar uh, or five hundred lira. No, no, I'm sorry, <laughs> that's not here anymore. Uh, it cut a five hundred uh, euro subsidy for like the poorest people in Italy. Gone. That's going to really do great with the family structures of those people who aren't going to get that money anymore. It's going to be so much easier for them to live as a family now with that much greater degree of uh, financial insecurity. Oh, another interesting, uh, another interesting uh, sort of ca- characteristic of Christopher Maloney and just I don't know, like European fascism in general, is that um, like Varg, she believes Tolkien's Lord of the Rings to be actual history. She's a huge Tolkien fan. I feel like that's like that's like Obama writing about Palestine when he was in grad school. You know what I mean? Like, I can't imagine she believes anything that cool, <laughs> like anymore. You know, it would be awesome if someone tried to govern on Varg's ideology. But I just, I unfortunately, look if it's gonna happen anywhere, if it's gonna happen in any like real country, uh, give or take Italy, um, it's good. You know, it'll happen there. But I just, I don't believe her, unfortunately. She's just, yeah, she's just another fucking boring European she politician. She knows what these people want to hear. Oh, yeah. you like anime and Tolkien? <laughs> I like that stuff, too. It's yeah. epic. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, just a little bit back to, uh, just refocus here back to the United States, the place that matters. Um, folks, I know we're all looking forward to having our student loans forgiven. Not so fast. Headline. Biden administration scales back student loan forgiveness plan as states sue. I think it's just bloody parliamentarian again. I mean, uh, that's parliamentarian, got parliamentarian tricks. These were um, these were um, federal loans yeah. that were purchased by private lenders. Yeah, and usually when that happens, usually when like a private uh, private financial concern buys someone else's loans, it's fucking pennies on the dollar. Yeah, it's the same thing. Like. You know, when uh, you remember the Argentine debt crisis? Yeah. It's the same thing where it was um, like Paul Singer was one of the big guys. Paul Singer, the big Republican donor, just bought like all this Argentinian debt for a fucking pittance. And when you do that, your bet is basically the government is going to force your your debtors to pay you back. Right. In, on the face value, which yeah. you did not pay to get it. Yeah. I guess my question with this is like, okay, I know like a couple episodes back we were speculating like, does Mitch McConnell actually want Republicans to win in the midterm elections? Like, do, do, like, is he trying to sabotage the Republicans to sort of strengthen his own hand against the sort of MAGA wing of the party? So I guess my question for this is, does anyone want to win an election? Yeah, there's no <laughs> like, benefit. It's just like, does, is anyone is, trying to actually win an election? There is no longer a benefit really to winning. Yeah. I guess not. There is no because there used to be spoils that you could distribute as a victor in the American political system. But all of those avenues have been privatized, marketized, and now are captured by whichever pool of capital is able to absorb them, which means you as an elected official have no ability to direct that flow anywhere. So you can't really uh, uh, use your office to increase your power. It's your power depends on your uh, position within the party structure which is completely separate from whether or not you're in or out of power. All being in power does is give you a giant headache of now I have to fucking like take, uh, I have to try to fundraise while being the face of decline and uh, misery. That's, that's bad. Much easier to fundraise when I can blame it on the other side. So we're in this intractable de- declining situation. There is no incentive to be the one holding the fucking chicken. Yeah. So they're just gonna throw it back and forth. Yeah, no, 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 <laughs> it's no, fucking no, hot you potato. You win the election. No, yes, you win the election. Yeah. Fuck, fuck. <laughs> it's like it's like that um that fable where um 
this guy gets tricked into buying like a magic box that sends you to hell unless you <laughs> sell it to somebody for less than what you bought it for. Yeah. That's also that's history. Like no, Lo- yeah. like Lord of the Rings. That's also that actually happened. Oh my god. Oh it no. To a friend of mine. Did Christopher Maloney did she get that box? <laughs> oh no. By the way, if any chop listeners would like to purchase a box from me, please <laughs> please DM. All offers considered. <laughs> yeah. I remember like I remember hearing that story when I was a kid and like getting sad. I was like Oh no! What if you sell it for a penny? That's not fair. <laughs> what does that guy do? <laughs> just like getting, like just an idiotic concept. Like, oh, the box that sends you to hell. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's called the freaking smartphone. Oh, <laughs> that's that's it. The oh, smartphone. God damn it! <laughs> so good. All right, uh, I just like a last two stories on note here from America. I'd like to just check in with um, law enforcement. The cops, what have they been up to recently? Uh, this is uh, just a story that just happened out here in California. A girl, 15 in Amber Alert, is killed in shootout with California authorities. Apparently, this uh, teenager was uh, kidnapped by her father. Who killed her who mother. killed her mother. And then an Amber Alert was issued. Uh, the police found the father and daughter. Who The father was armed. He you know, was you know, some sort of murderous psychopath on some sort of death drive. Um, the girl gets out of the car, runs towards the cops. But according to them, because she was wearing tactical pants, they shot and killed her. Had to do what? It. Yeah. She's got tactical pants. Do She's they mean like gauge us kinetically? What do they mean like cargo pants? It says it says bullets were flying. A figure wearing tactical gear and a helmet. Okay, a helmet emerged from the truck and ran towards sheriff deputies, the authorities said. The figure fell. They're gonna sack me. <laughs> then they realized <laughs> it's third down. <laughs> we'll have to punt. I have to use a deadly force to prevent this from then happening. They realized- Someone loves Last Boy Scout. <laughs> Then they realized this was the girl they had been trying to save. Oops. Now oh she and her father God. were dead. Just the day before, the California Highway Patrol had released an Amber Alert declaring the girl, Savannah Graziano, 15, to be missing. It described her as five foot two with brown hair and brown eyes, and her father, Anthony John Graziano, 45, as armed and dangerous. In a news conference on Tuesday, the San Bernardino Sheriff Shannon D. Dickus <laughs> said the details surrounding the case in the shootout in which deputies were involved were still preliminary okay uh i'm gonna go throw it out there she tried to run away from her father uh as the bullets were flying cops uh pig swine just shot her the head and then afterwards were like okay uh tactical pants that's the story yeah yeah they planted fucking cargo pants on her (laughs) i'd like we gotta throw away fanny pack just in the truck of the car (laughs) just drop it It was very very just be cool about it okay i'm pretty sure we can get away with this if we if we can prove that she had a trapper keeper on her when we killed her. <laughs> what is it, the thing that like Brandon always says uh, when he's like um, going to defund the police is like, um, you know, we have to give them more money for training and like police budgets. One of the reasons they're so high outside of like giving them insane equipment is we're, I guess we think that we can make them into operators. Uh, yeah. But by virtue, just in the same way that like there can't be good cops by virtue of the type of person that becomes a, a, a cop. There can't be, there will never be American police officers that are like the SAS, like ice running through their veins, those types of guys, the guys who like went into the Iranian embassy in 1980 in London. You'll never get those guys who make like cold snap, like sometimes selfless decisions in the moment because like the person who's going to always become a cop is the jumpiest asshole. Like, yeah, it's a a fat baby. Yeah. Like it's, you're an American fat baby and you want, you want a gun so that you can continue to be a big fat baby and no one can get mad at you for it. Yeah. You can, you can, there's no amount of fucking drills and, and classes you can take that will not make you a fucking pussy. Yeah. Okay. Second, second story about American law enforcement. What if you didn't need a gun? Headline, video shows when train hit patrol car with woman handcuffed inside. Video released by Colorado authorities on Friday shows the moment when a freight train smashed into a patrol car in which a handcuffed woman was sitting as the vehicle straddled railroad tracks following her arrest on September 16th. The woman, Yurini Rios Gonzalez, 20, of Greeley, Colorado, was seriously injured and continued to be treated at a hospital, according to Colorado Bureau of Investigation, which was investigating. She was in Plateville Police Department patrol car when the collision took place. Fort Lupton police had also responded to the scene and participated in the arrest. Uh, She saw it coming and could hear the horn, Mr. Wilkinson told the Denver Post. She was trying to get police officers' attention, screaming at them. She tried unlocking the door. 
She had her hands behind her back and was frantically trying to unlock the door. So this is Colorado police basically doing like sort of snidely whiplash thing. So they, they handcuffed a woman, put her in the back of a car, and then parked the car on train tracks as a freight train was approaching. There are two ways to view this story. One, how could they be this incompetent? Or two, and in my opinion, given the volume of stories about law enforcement that you read in the newspaper and the media of this nature, would lead me to the conclusion that they wanted to see what would happen when a woman trapped in a car was hit by a train. Yeah. Uh, I could definitely see them having the conversation. Like, you know, I've never seen anybody get hit by a train. Let's go. Let's do it. Yeah, I want to figure out what was going on here, obviously. I mean, I hope Rocky and Bullwinkle are in internal affairs <laughs> to take down Officer Snidely Whiplash. Uh, because, yeah, no, I am I am legitimately, legitimately want to know, like, what awful reason this happened. Because, like, obviously, yeah, the cops are stupid and incompetent enough to, like, they forget. Could've, that could have happened, for sure. Yeah. I'm not ruling that one out. Yeah, but... It's possible that, like, yeah, they were trying to kill her for a variety of reasons. I don't know. Mm, I think I'll have to wait for the true crime video to find out. <laughs> like, yeah. We love our cops as a thing. We, we love, love our, our law cops, enforcement. our law enforcement. We love our military. They're important. <laughs> uh, I wonder how he's doing. He's apparently pleading yeah. out right now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, he's looking at, like, five years, I guess. So uh, I think he's basically yeah, trying I, to negotiate one, one, one like, thing, one thing, some sort of plea agreement behind the scenes. Well, I, I mean, what, one thing is for certain. There's no way he snitched on anyone. He of was course no, not. Of no, course guys, no way. You know, about these guys, he's, he's standing tall. The thing about these people is that they all believe in something greater than themselves and are willing to sacrifice for it. These guys tell like the second they're Miranda. It's <laughs> amazing. They like there's no 48 hours tricks. They yep. just instantly fold on everyone they know. Yep. Um, I think, though. It'll probably be, if I had to guess, five years in the feds as baked Alaska. Probably pretty smooth. Yeah, it'll be all right. <laughs> he can throw out freestyles in the lunch line. Yeah. He'll, he'll be beloved. Uh, all right. Well, let's, uh, we're going we're to transition now into an interview I just did with um, journalist Seamus Malakovzeli about the ongoing protests in Iran. So, cue that up. Seamus Malakovzeli there, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Okay, uh, joining us now is journalist uh, Seamus Malakovzeli to talk about the uh, recent protests going on in Iran. Seamus, welcome. Happy to be on the program again. Uh, Seamus, could you just give us uh, some, uh, just an outline on uh, like what the context for the protests going on in Iran are right now, what kicked it off, and just um, like the, the Iranian government's response to them thus far? In mid-September, uh, a Kurdish woman named Mahsa Amini she visited Tehran with her brother, and during her visit to Tehran, she was uh, arrested by the morality police because her hijab was not uh, properly being worn. This is, at this point, this is where the narrative between the police and her family and eyewitnesses diverge. The police claim that after she was arrested and briefly put into a police van, she was uh, released. She went to the police station. And then at the police station, she collapsed, went brain dead, had a stroke and died a few days later. Uh, her family uh, says that she was beaten inside of the police van. Uh, she suffered fractures to her skull, uh, had a brain hemorrhage, and she had no previous ailments. She had no previous health issues. So the idea of her falling down and dying at the age of 22 from pure stress alone was difficult to believe. As soon as the news of this broke uh, on social media, uh, protests started almost immediately, primarily concentrated uh, in the country's north, but they were all around Iran, but primarily in the country's north, uh, around Tehran, uh, and in Kurdish-majority areas, as uh, Amini was a Kurdish woman. The Iranian government's response has not been as severe as it was in 2019 when the entire internet was shut down. Within four days, the Iranian army and the IRGC came in and uh, killed hundreds of people, even by the government's own uh, statistics. But it has been uh, fairly severe. Um, the death toll is, is uh, in the tens. And there has been a major emphasis on uh, counter protests, 
enforcing narratives of the importance of law and order, uh, respecting the police, um, respecting public property, and trying to implement the narrative into the discourse that these are American-backed, American-planned seditions that are meant to take down the Islamic Republic uh, from outside. Could you give some context for the role of the morality police in in um, the history of the Islamic Republic? And then also like the, the current state of the Iranian popular opinion on mandatory hijab, like the wearing of the hijab for women, it seems to be at like an all-time low. And like, uh, like this would be like the inciting incident for these protests. Like how do the morality police work? Is the like, uh, according to polls, only 40% of the Iranian public still supports um women wearing a mandatory hijab in public. Is this a sign of like an increasing amount of pressure on the Iranian government as a result of these kind of like morality, religious issues? In terms of how the, the morality police uh, came into being, uh, in the 1940s, the first Shah of the Pahlavi dynasty, Reza Shah, um, went as far as to ban the hijab entirely. And as a result, um, the hijab and the chador, the, the larger Islamic dress, uh, did not fall out of practice, but it became something of a political statement in order to wear the hijab outside. It was a symbol of your social class. It was a symbol of your economic status. It was also a symbol of your ideology and how you respected the Shah. When the Azhar Republic came into being, when it was uh, voted uh, into being by referendum, the idea of the mandatory hijab was very popular. Uh, something in the uh, from anywhere from eighty to ninety percent of people in Iran backed the idea of hijab being mandatory through police enforcement. Uh, as the decades went on and uh, generations came and passed, and there was more engagement with uh, the Western world through globalization, the popularity of it um, eventually went further and further down. And uh, as you said, it's. Below the majority of people in Iran uh, want this to still be enforced. Um, in terms of pressure, uh, this has been a pressure point on the Iranian government before. Uh, there were protests over the hijab uh, back in 2017 and 2018 uh, that followed similar uh, ideological lines as this. Back in 2009, this was already an issue. The main reformist candidate, uh, Mir Hussein Mousavi, made that a cornerstone of his campaign. Uh, getting rid of the morality police's ability to enforce. Um, I can't even remember if he wanted to get rid of it entirely. Um, as far back as the reformist movement has been in existence since the late 90s, this has been a pressure point. Um, but even though there have been moves in that direction by people in parliament, in the cabinet, uh, even in the presidency at times, it has not moved at all. There is a belief among the Iranian government, by people in the Iranian government, that if this very visible aspect of Islamic governance is rolled back, that there may be a domino effect of other visible aspects uh, being repealed and that it may uh, lead to other such things in the future. Uh, speaking of um, uh, people in and out of the Iranian government, I, I saw just the other day that former uh, President uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad came out and said against the uh, like requirement of wearing a hijab in public. Is this sort of like a face turn for him? Because I remember him being sort of a voice of social conservatism when he was in government. No, Ahmadinejad, uh, Ahmadinejad has made quite the, the face turn uh, since he was president. He has attempted to rebrand himself as a uh, self-proclaimed liberal Democrat since his presidency. Now, that is not to say that he was always strictly within the uh, the conservative establishment. He was always butting heads with them, and he always had certain more liberal viewpoints than they did. But it has absolutely been a massive turnaround in terms of ideology. As an example of that, not just with, with the hijab and, and other things like that, recently he came out uh, very much in favor of uh, Ukraine uh, against Russia. Uh, he had made, and also within that position, uh, supporting Taiwan. I think he was convinced that there was supposed to be a U.S.-Russia-China plot to 
invade Taiwan, Ukraine, and Iran all at the same time. He has found a way to incorporate his own peculiarities into a, a liberal framework. Well, I mean, he's on Twitter now. He's back on Twitter. So, oh, sure, I mean, sure. He's on Twitter. Yeah. He's back in Michigan football. Um, <laughs> he's, 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 I don't know, he's living his own life. You uh, pointed out an interesting incident the other day where um, in, uh, among the protesters, they set fire to the statue of an Iranian revolutionary intellectual. Could you give us some of the background for that or why that's uh, noteworthy or interesting? What has been, I think, interesting about uh, this in particular, it's not unprecedented for um, uh, protesters to call for the end for the Islamic Republic, for the death of um, Khamenei, for, for death to so-called dictators. Um, what has been interesting and unprecedented, I think, is the level of disdain directed toward government uh, ideological figures um, to government municipalities, like um, local government municipalities have been overrun. There was a, there was a brief time in which uh, a town called Oshnavie in um, the country's east was completely overrun by protesters. There has been, I think, I think this is probably the most severe instance of a kind of outpouring of anti-Islamist fervor. Um, the uh, generation that seems to be leading these kinds of protests are the youngest generation, the Zoomers, Gen Z. And my friend Sina Tusi made the point that Gen Z in Iran is not used to the idea of projecting a public, religiously complacent face that other generations were used to. The face that they project to the internet and the face that they project in public to them needs to be unified. And the idea of granting any sort of respect to figures of the Islamic Republic's past, which they were not around for, is going to seem alien. Uh, it's going to not make a whole lot of sense. Um, and like, yeah, like, and, and is the the younger generation's attitude toward the hijab? I mean, we would have to be different from the older generations because you, I mean, you talked about how first the Shah outlawed the hijab and then it became a symbol of freedom and independence. And I suppose the younger generation feels just the the opposite. It's that it's a symbol of oppression and surveillance. I haven't been able to see an age breakdown of that of the polling on that issue significantly, but there are age breakdowns on support for Raisi as president, the current conservative president, and who has, of course, championed the, the crackdown on the protesters, very conservative uh, ideals, very religiously conservative ideals. He's not a neoconservative in the Iranian context like Ahmadinejad was. And obviously, as you get older, support for him pretty substantially increases. There is a very significant divide between those who grew up or at least were alive for the Shah's time when wearing the hijab was a symbol of, you know, opposition to the establishment, to the government, and between people who grew up after the Zagreb Republic, who know no other system, and who's know that not wearing the hijab is the anti-establishment, the anti-government position. Like, and how would you say that these protests? I mean, you, you mentioned that the, uh, the like the inciting incident was a Kurdish woman visiting Tehran. How did these protests sort of complicate the kind of tenuous uh, notion of like an Iranian national identity? Because like Kurds are about what, a population of about nine or ten million within Iran. Is it breaking down on these kind of like ethnic sectarian lines? And like, uh, how does that? Like, yeah, how does that play into like how like young people like see themselves as Iranians? I think I have now what is interesting about these protests is that a lot of people were waiting. Uh, a lot of analysts were waiting for this moment in which working class Iranians from uh, ethnic minority groups and middle class Iranians from places like Tehran would protest roughly at the same time. Because in previous protest movements, they had mostly protested uh, separately as separate groups. Um, these protests have been cross-sectarian, cross-ethnic, cross-class 
for the most part. Um, however, the objectives of these protests, uh, at least in the eyes of different groups, uh, do divert based on based on location, based on place. Um, the Iranian government in particular has seized on the fears some people have of Kurdish separatism. They have been really honing in on the threats posed by Kurdish armed organizations in Iran out, who are operating outside of Iran, but are have obviously directed their guns toward Iran um, and are hoping for that kind of narrative change. Um, just the other day, there was a ballistic missile attack on the uh, the headquarters of Komala, which is a Kurdish uh, center-left group that is based in Iraqi Kurdistan. The IRGC fired ballistic missiles at them. The In terms of the actual population of Iran, um, realigning that discussion around if Iran can truly be a multi-ethnic state, um, personally, I haven't seen that quite yet. If the protests continue and they don't abate, I could maybe see that happening. But at the moment, I haven't seen it. And like, like what are the what are the aim like what are the aims and objectives of these protests? I mean, I, it started out like a simple matter of we don't want to be compelled to wear the hijab under threat of imprisonment or harassment by police forces. But have the objectives uh, sort of evolved as these protests have gone on to something broader about uh, Iranian government and society? I think almost immediately uh, they became about the Iranian government and the Islamic Republic as a system. Um, initially, they were chants about, you know, optional hijab, and that was pretty much it. But very quickly, it became a uh, chance against the system itself, um, talking about uh, killing um, people, the people who killed the Mahsa Amini. It has definitely become a, a larger thing. And, uh, and additionally, not just talking about the current government system, but also uh, rejecting different government systems. Uh, many of the chants that were heard in Tehran were against both the Shah and the Islamic Republic. It has, I think, in many ways become a, a protest with the goal of overthrowing the Islamic Republic. But to what extent that is the, the common opinion of the Iranian people, um, I'm not sure. There's no real data uh, uh, to that effect. And President Raisi, you know, just a year ago had an approval rating of 70% among the Iranian public. It's much lower now, but it used to be 70%. And typically, the beliefs among people of toward overthrowing their entire governmental system as a whole does not sway so wildly within a year's time. So it's it's a bit difficult to say. Um, what does the U.S. response to these protests look like at present? And uh, what will it look like in the future in light of the Biden administration's larger Iran policy? Because, I mean, there's, they still are, I guess, technically trying to do this nuclear deal. And then also, uh, since these protests have like announced another, another round of sanctions on um, Iranian um, oil exports. The U.S. government has moved uh, almost immediately uh, to obviously exploit the protests and grant them, you know, their support, their, their verbal support at the very least. Now they have not gone probably as far as the Trump administration would have gone. Obviously if Trump were in power, Pompeo, uh, Pence himself would likely uh, be at the forefront of, of this kind of narrative, trying to spread any which thing. Uh, in 2019, um, they, they did similar things. They, uh, published, uh, uh, casualty reports, which were way out of line with what journalists studying Iran uh, were thinking. Um, they were actively trying to muddy the waters with intelligence from the MEK and things like that. So far, the Biden administration has not tried to do that, at least not yet. As you said, the, the negotiations over the nuclear deal complicate these things. Obviously, the animus of the American government is to interfere. It is to influence. It is to try to make way for a, a administration that might be popular, might be, might be both well, not necessarily popular in Iran, but would be popular with the American government that would be friendly to them. 
but they are also trying to get the Iran deal done. And that requires a bit more carefulness and a, and a bit more tact. The issue is, is that these negotiations have been stuck in purgatory for God knows how long now. And I'm not sure that they're going to go anywhere in the near future. Um, and I'm not sure if any response from the Biden administration to the protests uh, uh, would change that. I think it's going to stay. The sanctions that are currently ex, uh, existing on Iran, I, I think are going to remain there uh, for the near future, especially because the election's coming up. And with especially if you're trying to court Republican voters, uh, getting the Iran deal done that they're going to seize on is not going to be very beneficial to them. Uh, if I could just get your uh, reaction to some advice for the Biden administration, this comes courtesy of Bobby Gosh, the Washington Post. Quote, Biden should amplify the voices of Iran's protesters. He writes, the challenge for Biden is to help the protesters without allowing the regime to portray them as American stooges. The most, inter the most useful thing the U.S. can do is amplify the voices of the protesters and help them evade the regime's blackouts to better communicate with each other and other co coordinate their protests. One practical way to achieve this is to exempt from international sanctions Elon Musk's Starlight satellite system, which can provide Internet connectivity to Iranians. The U.S. Treasury has said some satellite Internet equipment can be exported to Iran. At the diplomatic level, the State Department should also use every opportunity to draw attention to the protests and encourage American allies to do likewise. Every statement relating to the negotiations over the revival of the Iran nuclear deal should be accompanied with a strong reiteration of solidarity with the protesters and an equally forceful denunciation of the crackdown. So, I mean, yeah, like, uh, what do you think we could do more to amplify these voices? Or should we? Because... <laughs> It, because it, because it may it may the more we amplify the may the more they may seem like stooges the more I, we I, may all seem like stooges i i love bobby uh he, he's a great guy he's a great mind genius uh, seeping out of that man's ears like pus it, the issue that i think a lot of iran analysts have have brought up before people who are iran in themselves is that a lot of uh failures of protest movements in iran have been connected to the fact that U.S. sanctions have, it, it has resulted in the filtering of a lot of social networks, a lot of ways for Iranians to communicate. So the fact that those sanctions still exist is an active impediment. Uh, it's not simply the fact that the sanctions on, on certain internet systems exist. And there, I saw that there was a thread about this Starlink system that Elon Musk wants to put up there. And apparently it's very easy to like track down uh, the the places where it's transmitting from. So I imagine it's a huge security flaw, but no, I mean, I mean, there is no way for the Biden administration to, to do both of those things at once, even if it wanted to somehow do that honestly. Um, once you give them that kind of PR, once you publicly back them, you are feeding evidence into the Islamic Republic's data banks that these protests are Western backed, that they're CIA uh, operations um, because they can see it on the Twitter pages of uh, Israel's Twitter account uh, in their Persian language communications on the pages of the State Department website. Um, even if they did not themselves instigate the protests, you are giving them all the fodder in the world to make that accusation. Uh, it helps nobody. It, 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 I mean, Bobby is, he is, he, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't think he's being honest, but obviously he is assuming too much honesty uh, on the part of, you know, people like Tony Blinken or, or Joe Biden. So uh, you're saying it's like, a, a don't change your Twitter avi to uh, just a blank green circle just yet? No, no, I don't think so. Okay. Well, uh, speaking of PR and uh, CIA operations, uh, Seamus, are you familiar with this woman I'm seeing on TV all the time who's like a voice of like the Iranian protest movement? She's in Brooklyn. Uh, I forget her name at the moment, but I saw her on Jake Tapper the other day. I'm just wondering, uh, well, what's your read on this lady as like the voice of uh, all Iranian women? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, uh, Masi Ali Najad, uh, I believe is the woman that you were speaking of. Yes, that, that's, um, that's the one. Uh, uh, she, just for some brief context for people who may have probably seen her face around, uh, but don't quite know who she is. Messi used to be 
a reporter for reformist newspapers in Iran. Um, after a while, she left and she became an anti-hijab activist. And she eventually became a media personality working for the Voice of America. Uh, she is paid by Voice of America. This is not conjecture. This is not saying someone is CIA for the sake of saying the CIA. There are investigations to this effect that she has paid thousands of dollars by the State Department. Nevertheless, because of, of the amount of attention that she receives for her activism, she has positioned herself as the, I don't, well, she has positioned herself as a very influential figure. She disagrees with the assessment that she is the leader, but she is making all kinds of, uh, Im- she's implying it very, very, very heavily uh, to anyone who will listen, like Dexter Filkins, who uh, wrote a New Yorker profile about her. Despite these assertions, I, now I have not, I have not seen every video that comes out of Iran, so I, I cannot say this for sure. But I have never seen any protester mention Messi's name. I have never heard any chant. Uh, I have never seen any evidence that this woman is any kind of leader position of anything or any source of influence. Um, This is a recurring problem because back in 2017, 2018, when there were other anti-hijab protests and Messi was again positioning herself as a leader in this kind of movement, female figures in Iran, celebrities who were in, who were involved in the protests had to come out and say, no, no one is being influenced by Messi here. She's not a leader and she should stop saying that. But nevertheless, she continues to do so. And her connections with Voice of America, her connections with the government endanger people when she constantly feels the need to make these connections with her and these movements. Uh, did I see that she um, changed her name at some point? Um, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, can you give me information about this? <laughs> Actually, I can't. So someone's going to say she like, she changed her name to mean Messiah. M- now, yes. Messi is, uh, yes, that is the name. That is the name of Messiah. Yeah. Her first name, you know, there might be something. Her first name was Masume. Beforehand, I, I don't know the exact reasons for why she did so, but God, there may be something to that. I gotta hope not. That's well, so weird. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to be the Messiah for all women in Iran, uh, be good to change. Be good to have a name that uh, you know speaks to that. Um, I guess okay. Like uh, my last question here is uh, the role of the, the current Ayatollah. I have read speculation that he is quite ill at the moment and may be knocking on heaven's door. Like, uh, could you speak about the, the, the current Ayatollah, the state of his health, and what this means in general for, you know, like the, these protests and, and the, the state of Iran in the going forward in the future? Khamenei, the current supreme leader, um, he's 83 years old. Uh, he has had pretty significant health problems in the past. Uh, there was a report in the New York Times that said he, I believe he had major surgery, but that turned out not to be completely accurate. But, you know, we have to remember this man had an assassination attempt on him that partially paralyzed him. Uh, he's had problems for years. Uh, even if he was solely 83, he, he'd be in danger of dying. So the question of his succession will come after him. Even if it is taboo to talk about in Iran in polite circles, it is very much on everyone's mind. Um, the current most likely candidate that people are talking about is the current president, Ebrahim Raisi. Now, this is following in the trend that had been established when Khomeini died. Khomeini at the time was the president. Um, and they decided because certain re- for certain multiple reasons, one of which was that he was known to the people. He was anointed uh, as the successor. Now, the issue is, is that Raisi, while he is known to the people as he is the president of Iran, he is not nearly as popular as Khamenei was when he was president. Um, Raisi's approval rating is currently in the high 20s. Um, It's about 10% lower than uh, Joe Biden's lowest approval rating. In order to get him elected, the Guardian Council of Iran had to disqualify many different candidates, and it resulted in the lowest turnout in Iranian presidential history. So 
while I don't think that spec the, I don't believe the speculation that it's going to cause an um, an earth shattering fall of the Islamic Republic, it is going to definitely be a point of concern uh, if they decide to push him as successor because he does not have the same criteria as Khamenei did, which has allowed him to continue being supreme leader uh, fairly undaunted. Um, in terms of the state of the protest now and what there will probably be going forward, the fears that I had that there was going to be a crackdown like 2019, a swift one, uh, have not panned out. What they appear to be doing is a partial filtration of the internet while still pretty harshly cracking down on the protesters. But my current prediction is that they will likely continue for a little bit longer, but like with many movements in the past, uh, they will likely burn themselves out. Even if there are strikes currently happening among students and among professors, if there is no change that is going to happen in the government itself and the government is committed still to continuously mobilizing its supporters and mobilizing the police, it's not terribly sustainable. Uh, Seamus, I think that's all for us today. I want to thank you for your time. Uh, yeah, thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Seamus Malikov-Selvi, everybody. 